I wanted to read something from the opening of the Intermediate Sunday School lesson that uh, maybe relates, maybe doesn't relate as well, but uh, I thought it was a little interesting. The Intermediate Sunday School class was on Repent and Confess. A Christian man entered a doctor's office and said, I really need your help. I can't sleep. I can't eat. The doctor gave the man a thorough examination. I cannot find anything wrong physically, anything physically wrong. But I can tell you are emotionally upset. The doctor went on. Is there something you have done wrong that is bothering your conscience? Now keep in mind, this is a Christian man that went to a doctor. It doesn't say whether the doctor was a Christian man or not. Continuing to read. The Christian man replied, I didn't come here for a sermon and stomped out of the office. Later he returned. Your question revealed my trouble. I defrauded a friend out of $100 and I can't forget it. What must I do? Write a letter to your friend, confess the wrong, and close a check for the $100. After he had followed the doctor's instructions, peace came. That was the heaviest burden I ever dropped, he said. Sometimes we get more than we bargain for, and that's not my message this morning, but I thought that was interesting in relation to our Sunday school lessons. I sometimes struggle with titles, and probably you'll have a different title than I have after this morning, but what I have is Rejoice in the Lord. You know, sometimes we face difficulties and it's, you know, things sort of drag us down. I mean, you have the world situation now, and then, of course, in our family we have some uncertainties. And the uh, last number of weeks I've been reading some in the Old Testament, in the Second Chronicles, and in the Psalms. And uh, so this morning I want to read a couple of Psalms, but uh, before that I'm going to do a Josiah and read you a parable. Um, we need a proper connection this way as we relate to life. And in these psalms that I'm going to read, there is a difference in how God relates to people generally and people that are his. The windmill and the pump. I have a friend who is an husbandman. And I visited him upon his farm and tarried with him one night. And upon his farm are cattle and swine and horses, and he watereth them from a deep well wherein is a pump, and the pump runneth by a windmill. All right, I'll stop there just a little bit. How many of you know what a windmill is? How many of you know how it operates? All right. So you have a windmill out there, and typically, now some of them are just for show, all right? The ones down at Shenandoah Heritage Farmer's Market do not pump water. Um, but a windmill is designed that when the wind blows, it has a tail on it that turns those fins of that wind wheel into the wind so that it turns it better. But there's also a brake on there so that when the wind's blowing too hard or when there's no wind, you can put a brake on it if you don't need water and it won't run. 
But then when it's running properly, then that wheel, that wheel turns and it runs a, a rod up and down and it pumps water up. All right. Continuing to read. And it came to pass after supper that he spake unto a worker that labored upon his farm. And he said, There is a good breeze tonight. Start thou the windmill. The worker went forth into the night and loosened a rod that runneth up to the mill and that holdeth the tail against the wheel so that the wind driveth it not. But when the rod is loosened, then the tail swingeth around and the wheel cometh into the wind and the wheel turneth to beat the band. And ere the worker had returned to the house, we heard the wheel running. And my friend said, on the morrow, we shall have a tank full of water for the livestock. Now the room where I slept was on the side of the house toward the windmill, and when I wakened in the night, it was running like the wind, and I said, Verily it will pump the well dry at that rate. But when we went out in the morning, behold, there was no water. For the pump had been disconnected from the mill, and the worker saw not in the darkness that the connecting pin was out. Wherefore he connected it not, and the mill had run all night, and the tank was empty. Now when I beheld this, I thought of many folks whom I know whose windmill goeth around continually and who are always creaking their boots to show that they are among those present and who talk long and earnestly about earnestness and efficiency and the rest, but it cutteth no ice and it draweth no water. Now these be good folks whose mind, minds are responsive to the winds of God and their capacity for doing something is as excellent as that of the pump, but between the wheels that God driveth and the pump of their own endeavor, there lacketh an adjustment. Just a little more, but I won't read it. We've got to have that connection to Almighty God or we're just a bunch of clatter in the wind as that pump is turning. We read Psalm 33 the other morning at the house, and uh, that's where I want to start this morning. Psalm 33 gives us a picture of, um, of God and who He is. But it also gives us a picture of two different kinds of people. And the title comes from the first words in this psalm, Rejoice in the Lord. Probably I'll stop periodically and uh, go through a few things as we go through this and not come back and go through it verse by verse. So I want to read the first three verses. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp, sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise. Now, God calls us, or the psalmist calls us through inspiration of God, to praise him. But who is to do this praising in these first three verses? Verse 1 says, the upright. 
those who are not upright cannot please God. So there's that distinction of the people in this psalm. God calls the upright to praise Him. Rejoice in the Lord. How is this praise to be done? It's to be done with zeal and with affection. And yes, it's talking about a lot of instruments in here. And uh, I'm okay with instruments. I am happy that we don't use them here. I... uh, there have been times I wish I would have learned to play an instrument so then I could figure out some of these new songs. And by the way, Glenn, um, I, uh, and probably there are still some new songs in here, but um, I grew up on these two song books on the bench. Now at the Pike Church, they had the church hymnal and the church and Sunday school hymnal when I was there, but at the bank they had the church hymnal and life songs, at Bethany they had church hymnal and life songs, in South Carolina they had church hymnal and life songs. And I was however old when I came here in 2008. I'm going to tell you, I've sung more new songs out of these books since I'm here than I ever did. I've said Churches don't need new song books if they'd sing the songs that are in here. But uh, that's just a side note. Um, so I'm not saying you're not going to lead us in some new songs tonight, but uh, songs that would be new at other churches in our group <laughs> are not going to be as new here, okay? There's not as many of them. Now back to the message. So God calls these upright. The psalmist calls these upright. To rejoice in the Lord with zeal. To have affection. And notice he says at the last of that, to play skillfully. In other words, give your best in praising God. I've I've just marveled. When Solomon finished the temple... And he was there giving sacrifices to God. Does anybody know how many animals he offered as sacrifices to God when he completed the temple? I hope I can remember this because I wrote it down at home. If I remember correctly, it was 122,000 oxen. No. 22,000, I'm sorry. There, I looked back a little bit to get a comparison. In the state of Virginia, in 1998, I believe it was, there was like 120,000 dairy animals in the whole state. Solomon offered 22,000 at one time in his worship to God. I think it was 120,000 sheep, right? Um, And so, God wants our best as we offer our praise to Him, as we rejoice in Him. So now let's look at some reasons to praise the Lord. Let's uh, start reading at verse 4. Verse 4. 
We'll read down a good little ways. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters to the sea, waters of the sea together as an heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looketh from the heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. And horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their souls from death and to keep them alive in famine. I will stop there just a little bit. So we have some reasons in here why it is proper, it is comely, it is right to praise the Lord or to rejoice in the Lord. So you have there in verse 2, um, I'm sorry, not verse 2, um, verse 4, the word of the Lord is right. All his works are done in truth. You know, we're living in a day-to-day when truth, truth is still truth. But a lot of what today is produced as fact is not truth. We can count on what the Lord says. He loves righteousness and judgment, verse 5. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Reasons to praise or rejoice in the Lord. Next, look at creation. By the word of the Lord, verse 6, the heavens were made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. When's the last time you saw somebody just say something and it was there? That's what I see from God. I don't see that God went out there and poured a bunch of concrete and all this kind of stuff and went out and planted a bunch of trees. Tells us that by the word of his mouth it came into being. The heavens were made, the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. And I think that's talking about the stars and uh, that lovely moon that we saw the last couple of nights. By the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. I don't understand the workings of water. 
I know there's a lot of pressure there. And he didn't have to go out there and do like they did at the Hoover Dam. And no, I'm not going through the Hoover Dam here this morning. But when I look at the effort that was put into stopping one body of water, body of moving water, and then when I see what God does at his word, it's a reason to rejoice in the Lord. Verse 9, verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. That's our God. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. Makes the devices of the people of none effect. From the place, verse 14, verse 13, he looks from heaven and he sees everybody. He sees us all. From the places of his from the place of his habitation, he looks upon all the inhabitants of the earth, verse 14. He made our hearts. He knows us. He knows us inside out. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. I said we were reading in 2 Chronicles. Or I'm reading in 2 Chronicles. Let's turn to 2 Chronicles just a little bit. I want to pick out just a couple of things here. Um, 2 Chronicles 13. Some of the good kings that were in Judah... Second King, uh, Second Chronicles 13, verse 3, says, Abijah set the battle in array with an army of valiant men of war, 400,000 chosen men. Big army. A lot of fighting men. Jeroboam also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men. Two to one. So who's going to win that battle? The psalmist says there's no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. These 800,000 got in front of the 400,000 and behind. They were surrounded. But yet, 500,000 of those chosen 800,000 God dealt with. Go down to chapter 14. You have Asa. Asa had an army of men that bear targets and spears. Verse 8. Out of Judah, 300,000. And out of Benjamin, 200,000. So you have 580,000. Verse 9. There came out against them Zerah. The Ethiopian with an host of a thousand thousand or a million people to battle against 580. And he had 300 chariots. Of course, we know that uh, Abijah and Asa had God on their side and they sought God and God delivered them. 
you go over to chapter, I think it's chapter 20. Better look here a little. Yes, chapter 20. Verse 2 talks about this great multitude coming out. Verse 12. Our God, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. God, we're here with you. Talking about rejoicing in the Lord. Y'all know what part of their victory was? Over in verse 22 it says, When they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. They were rejoicing in God's deliverance even before it happened. Because they were God's. After that battle, it took them Three days to pick up the plunder. You find that in verse 25. Because it was so much. A multitude is not what brings us deliverance. There's no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. A horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. God is there for his people. So God has the results here. Or the psalmist has these results. Get down to the last couple of verses here. The eye of the Lord, his tender care is over them that fear him. Verse 18, that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Verse 19. And then we have the acclamation of God's people in the last couple of verses. Verse 20. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope. In thee. I don't know what goes through your mind when you read that last verse. How abundant is the mercy of God in my life? How abundant is the mercy of God in your life? If it's not abundant, why is it not abundant? Notice what it says at the end of that. You get in the right chapter. According as we hope in thee. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. Are we limiting the mercy of God that's available to us because of our lack of faith and trust in him? One commentator says it's measure for measure or mercy apportioned to faith. Just a challenge to me as I read that. 
God wants to pour out his mercy on his people. God wants to bless his people. We need to be open to that with our faith. I want to read a couple more psalms yet. I want to go back to Psalm 32. I just was blessed as I read these psalms again. I won't make a lot of comments on these. Blessed is is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. You see what happens when we don't come to forgiveness, come to God for forgiveness? And I thought about these in relation to our Sunday school lesson. Our Sunday school lesson in the intermediate class on Psalm 51. Verse 3, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. I'll stop there again. That man that went to the doctor, the Christian man that went to the doctor. He was emotionally distressed. He was upset. He wasn't feeling good. He couldn't sleep. He couldn't eat. He thought he had a physical disorder. He had a spiritual problem. Verse 4. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Think about that. Selah. Think about it. God forgave the iniquity of my sin. As you've come to him and confessed your sin, he's forgiven you the iniquity of your sin. Verse 6, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely the floods of great waters, they shall not come nigh unto thee. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Let me stop there a little bit. If Andrew would look out the window, I would probably look to see what he was looking at. And somebody just said that one time in relation to this. God guides us with his perspective. When you see somebody looking at something or gazing off in the distance... In livestock, when you see cattle gazing off, you look to see what they're looking for. What animal's out there that has their attention? God goes before us, guides us with his eye, so that we're looking. Probably I should have turned it the other way, though, because God points us towards safe things. Uh, He's not looking out there at the enemy. He wants us to focus on him. I lost my place. Verse 9. But ye, be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord 
mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Let me stop there just a little bit. Remember what I read in Psalm 33? By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. And he takes care of everything. The psalmist here is calling us to put our trust in that same God. Verse 10, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and chase after it or pursue it. The righteous, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked. They that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Psalm 35, first part of this psalm talks about David pleading for deliverance or pleading to God to uh, fight against his enemies. I'm going to start at verse 5. Did I get the wrong psalm? I think I did. I want Psalm 36. Verse 5. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgment, judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. 
They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life, in thy light shall we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. With thee is the fountain of light, of life. The fountain of life is there, but we've got to have the rod connected to draw from that fountain. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Let's rejoice in the Lord as we reflect on who he is and what he has done. Can we have a song, please?